Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. On today's episode, we are continuing to look at each Hogwarts house, and this week we are focused on Ravenclaw, and our resident Ravenclaws will guide us through the discussion today, those residents being Laura and Micah. And Laura, you noted you have your purple hair for today. I I did. I didn't do my purple hair specifically for today, but I felt like it was a nice tie-in, you know? Yeah. And I wore this purple shirt specifically because of today's discussion. Yeah. Of course you did. you did. (laughs) Before we get started, make sure you are following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And look out for new episodes every Tuesday. That's it. Just a quick little reminder. Let's jump straight into the discussion today. Let's nerd out. Let's nerd out. Not that we never do that on other episodes of this podcast, but uh, I'm, I'm actually excited. We're all wearing glasses today, too. I think we planned that for <laughs> the Ravenclaw episode. I don't Raven usually Claw bring episode. these bad boys out, actually. <laughs> Eric, are those blue light glasses? Are they reading glasses? What are they? No, they're glad. You know, I thought I had pretty good vision until I actually booked an eye doctor appointment and they did that thing with the lenses where they flip all sorts in front of you. And Um, now I can see like in quadruple HD. So I was like, wow, it's a minor adjustment. Isn't that something? Yeah, it's a minor adjustment. I could use these to read, but I still do all right. It's mostly for the future. Micah and Laura actually need glasses. I just wear blue light glasses because they're helpful and because I think they make me look smarter. They look Mm. nice. Everybody looks nice. Oh, it's very kind. It was a very Hufflepuff thing to say. (laughs) Jumping on into our discussion, we figured we could start similar to how we started with previous house discussions about highlighting a passage from the Sorting Hat song. Micah is the other uh, resident Ravenclaw on the panel. Would you want to read this passage? Of course. I read it every night before I go to bed, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Just to remind myself. It's a good affirmation. Yeah. How smart I am. Or yet in wise old Ravenclaw, if you've a ready mind, where those of wit and learning will always find their kind. This leads us to believe, of course, that we're talking about a high degree of academic prowess, right? Mm -hmm. But as a Ravenclaw, I feel like that's one of the only things that people seem to know about this particular house. So I wonder to kick off this discussion, is Ravenclaw possibly the house that we know the least about? This Hmm. is interesting because you know what my argument's going to be almost, Laura, about Hufflepuffs getting the short end of the stick and all that stuff. You have a movie franchise though, Eric. Well, yeah, not only that, there's not, I mean, I think maybe uh, Kenilworthy Wisp was a Ravenclaw and he's going to feature prominently in the Quidditch for the Ages movie. But no, I I think there's something to be said for this question. I think that it's it's quite possible because they didn't even get, you know, a Triwizard Champion from their house. And the characters that we do know, Luna, Cho Chang, also are not very prominent at all. And it never really goes into what their habits are like at Hogwarts, what their personalities are like outside of the friend group you know, that Harry is friends with them. So yeah, I I think it could be. It could be that Ravenclaw's the one we know least about. We just hear that they're intelligent in a hundred different ways throughout the series. 
For example, I found this little bit of info on the Ravenclaw page on fandom.com. These are these are small little tidbits that you may have forgotten. According to Slytherin prefect Gemma Farley, Ravenclaws were so competitive when it came to academic success that they were known to backstab each other and likely other students in order to get top marks. Meanwhile, Hufflepuff prefect Gabriel Truman noted that they were so proud of the success of famous members that they claimed any intelligent wizard as a member of Ravenclaw House, <laughs> such as Bridget <laughs> Wenlock, who was, in fact, a Hufflepuff. That's so right. taking credit for smart people, <laughs> even if they're not in the house, which actually is not too intelligent. Oh. Now, of course, this Hufflepuff and the Slytherin could just be, you know, making things up or exaggerating the truth because house rivalries, but there's probably some truth to this. But remember we talked about in the Slytherin episode that we felt like of all four houses, Ravenclaw uh, and Slytherin shared the most overlap. If we were to like look at houses as duos uh, as like Venn diagrams of each other, Micah, as a Ravenclaw, would you still agree with that statement in light of this little bit of info Andrew has presented? Definitely, especially reading about the competitive nature. I think that's something that would be both a trait of a Slytherin and a Ravenclaw. And I'd go back to, I know I mentioned that I was actually a hat stall when I took the Pottermore quiz between Ravenclaw and and Slytherin, but because I had identified all along as being a Ravenclaw, I stuck with Ravenclaw, but I could see traits of Slytherin in myself. So, well, which traits are those? Cunning. Yeah. <laughs> I was slightly joking, but I think that. <laughs> yeah, I don't nature, see that for you. <laughs> I, I think competition is something, you know, I, I would say probably all the houses on some level could identify with competitiveness, but coming at it from different angles. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm, I'm in trying to kind of see the similarities between Ravenclaw and Slytherin. I get this impression of more kind of introverted people. You think studious, but also just like they get their energies from within as opposed to without. I spoke on our last house episode in Hufflepuff about how I feel that Hufflepuff's house is very social and I think that Gryffindors also have this like need to be loud in, in a crowd. But I tend to think of Ravenclaws and Slytherins working the other way. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I'm a, very much an introvert. Um, do not enjoy large social settings. They kind of freak me out. I would much prefer to be surrounded by a small group of people, <laughs> much like this panel. Yeah. And as far as Slytherin traits, I know one that we talked a lot about during that episode was ambition. And I feel like Ravenclaws could also have that trait shine through. Um, again, approaching it maybe from a somewhat different angle, uh, being achievement oriented certainly is a Slytherin trait, but you could look at it for Ravenclaws as coming from the perspective of wanting to do well academically. I definitely think that there's there's some overlap that exists there. Definitely. So based on this passage from the Sorting Hat song, it doesn't seem that there's any morality tied into why someone would be sorted into Ravenclaw. It just seems if you've a ready mind, if you're into wit and learning, you'll always find your kind. So 
Are we to assume that the point of Ravenclaw House is to group students together based on academic prowess, regardless of the morality behind their intent? Well, if it's the sorting, it's probably talking about potential academic prowess, right? Or what are the qualities that lead someone to have academic prowess or succeed academically? Is it things like patience? Is it things like, um, you know, an ability, just kind of like a, a withness, an interest in the details? I think one of the categories or one of the um, traits that I'd be looking for in a Ravenclaw is curiosity. This leads to the other type of Ravenclaw, you know, the non-Cho Chang style, but more the Luna style of being curious about the world, of believing in things that are a little out of the ordinary. Um, but curiosity, the best kinds of curiosity, also do come in the most studious people because it's wit and learning, but you have to have that inspiration to want to know more than you already do. Yeah, that's really that's interesting. Beautifully said. There are times, though, too, and Laura, you called attention to the part here where it says find their kind. There, there's moments when Ravenclaw House is being talked about, and we're going to get into another one a little bit later on, where it's almost like they're elitist and they look down upon the other houses because of their level of intelligence or presumed level of intelligence, I should say. There's just something that rubs me the wrong way about it saying that they'll always find their kind. It's interesting you say that. I hate this. Oh. oh, okay. Well, I have a different way to approach this. I kind of took it as there's a certain kinship between the Ravenclaws and they just sort of naturally gravitate towards one another. I don't know if the other houses, the members of those houses have that. I kind of read this as like you naturally gravitate towards a Ravenclaw, whether or not you know that they're a Ravenclaw. I like that too. It's This seems the least cultish of all the ways that the houses are described by the hat. <laughs> mm -hmm. but, but I'm curious in seeing what you guys find, you know, kind of at fault with it. Why does it rub you the wrong way, Laura? To me, it rings of elitism. Mm. And I think that it is possible to excel academically and do really well in that space without looking down your nose at other people. Yeah. Um, that is sort of the brand of Ravenclawism, if you will, that I don't particularly care for. And it's part of what makes me wish that we saw more characterizations of Ravenclaws, that perhaps we had a movie franchise that featured a Ravenclaw so that we could rid ourselves of some of that stigma. Well, I'm going to put out uh, to WB that I'm available for Lockhart, the series. Uh, I could... Is he the best representative? <laughs> of Ravenclaw? I, I don't know. It's interesting because if we can, t I know we're going to talk about like famous Ravenclaws and stuff, but two of the biggest villains or two of the biggest, I should say, antagonists in Harry Potter, in Gilderoy Lockhart and in Professor Quirrell were Ravenclaw. And that's, you know, book canon. It said in the books, but... You know, with with Quirrell, I think his pursuit of knowledge led to him, if I'm remembering correctly, this might have been said on Pottermore, but it led led to him thinking that he could destroy Voldemort. He like got really, you know, kind of big in his britches and was like, I'm going to go find Voldemort and I'm smart enough. I've studied enough that I can defeat him. And then he did find Voldemort. So he was smart enough. 
but Voldemort ended up playing him like a fiddle and we all know what happened there. So I think that there's sort of some folly uh, existent there. And, and Lockhart is not without that level of, I think, egotism as well, to a certain extent. I don't think that it's a trait of the house to be egotistical, but I think that they all kind of have this in common where they pursue knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge kind of has them, depending on whether or not they were successful at making their own goals, they are either down to earth or up in the clouds. That's an interesting point. We'll talk about um, in a few moments when we get to the Ravenclaw common room. Mm. Um, but before we move on to a couple of other points, I wanted to ask, we know the Sorting Hat seriously considered putting Hermione into Ravenclaw. Why do we think it didn't? Hmm. Harry needed her. I think sometime, yeah, it is a plot device. I think sometime on this show, we should discuss what, how the series would have changed if Hermione was a Ravenclaw after all. But, you know, there is some bravery that Hermione carries with her. Absolutely. Throughout the books. So maybe that was a big aspect to it. Maybe, mm-hmm. I don't know, could the Sorting Hat be like, hey, Harry's going to need some help. Maybe I'll put her <laughs> over, over in Gryffindor. The Sorting Hat is really just building its own cliques, like where it sees fit. Um, yeah. And they need comic relief. We're going to get this Weasley there, you know. I just think it's wrong to make the assumption that just because Hermione is smart, that she should be in Ravenclaw. Yeah, but she also read the entire school book list prior to arriving, like for for year one. Are you saying then that no students of ready mind or wit and learning can be in the other houses? With some of the other famous witches and wizards we've discussed from Hufflepuff and from Slytherin, they definitely have those traits. So why not Hermione? Yeah. Well, I I think too that, you know, the argument I hear about Hermione all the time is it's not what you've got, it's what you value that chooses your Hogwarts house. So, you know, Hermione has that line in book one, books and cleverness, they are more important things, courage, bravery. And that just goes to show that although she may be intellectually capable, um, good at reading, knows how to, she really is the kind of person that sees what the importance of standing up to uh, you know, injustice is, and that's possibly what makes her Gryffindor. That's what gives her that edge. It's a fair point. So I wanted to say, before we continue, I have the question of what makes you guys Ravenclaws? You've talked about this a little bit um, beforehand about being Ravenclaws, about thinking, you know, that you were one and then kind of finding an alignment. But I'm really curious on this point, you know, what are the traits that you think are most similar to you that you hear or see represented in the actions of the characters versus um, which ones aren't that way. We're smart as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, well, it does I'm, have I'm a lot of books behind to hear. Him. I, yeah. I want to know what, Eric, I want to know what you and Andrew yeah, I think first. Flip it too. Yeah. And that's such a Ravenclaw thing to do. Well, we, <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you think? Hmm. <laughs> Using the Socratic method over here. Well, for starters, I mean, they're both wearing glasses right now. That's a sign of intelligence. I think they're both very intelligent people. The audience here may not know that Laura actually reads a book before breakfast every day. And that's Damn. why I think she's a good Ravenclaw. It's pretty it reminds important. me of the founder of MuggleNet. He, he would read a 
book every yeah, day, didn't he? I was going to say, yeah. I'm, I'm learning new information about myself right now. <laughs> <laughs> and Micah is a Ravenclaw because his favorite color is blue. I said, it just, this all goes back to a uh, third grade teacher, Mrs. Uh, Kemmerand, saying that he looked really nice in a blue sweater that he had. And so ever since then, he's been real hooked on blue. And when he read Harry Potter, he was like, oh, that makes sense. Both Laura and I have eagle tattoos. <laughs> yeah, we actually got them at the same time. We got matching eagle tattoos. And that's another thing to talk about with Ravenclaw as well, because it's such a Ravenclaw thing to be called Ravenclaw, but then for your house emblem to be an eagle. And then you need to like explain it in like this long winded way of right. like, well, You're actually, like, actually, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no, it was funny yeah. because before we started this episode, I was talking about how much it irks me on the official merchandise that they oftentimes depict a raven as uh, Ravenclaw's mascot as opposed to an eagle. It super gets on my nerves. Mm. I feel like it's a built in test that Ravenclaw would do to like suss out the people that are not Ravenclaws. But if that's the test, then everyone in the Harry Potter merchandise world has failed it. Like it's just obnoxious how many mm-hmm. items in the parks, like how can they be allowed to sell official merchandise with ravens in it? It's awful. I- I also think too, and it may not be the case for all Ravenclaws, but there is a strong desire to want to learn. And, okay. and that could be more so from an academic sense. Like there's there's just this eagerness. And that that's something that I associate with. But it doesn't yeah. have to be true for everybody. Because mm-hmm. I think, you know, street smarts is just as important at times, um, if not more so than book smarts. Do either of you really identify with a particular Ravenclaw? Maybe that can help us get a better sense. For me personally, of of the ones that we know and that we've spent a lot of time with, it would be Luna. Um, And I, I wouldn't say that I'm a lot like her per se, but I think that some of our, we share some qualities. Um, I like to challenge myself um, because we're all human. So we're all fallible. But I like to challenge myself. I like to challenge my own assumptions about things. And I think that somebody like Luna only gets to exist because she was brought up by people who were open to other possibilities outside of what's considered the norm, right? So that's something I try to push myself to do. Something else that I also really love, and I feel like Luna would really love. So maybe this is a Ravenclaw trait. Uh, I live for nuance. I love nuance. Nuance is one of my favorite words. Mm. I, I, I can't think in a binary, for example, like, uh, I, I could not be an engineer because my brain does not go from point A to point B. It's like point A, but then to get to point D or to get to point B, there's something really critical that has to happen later in point D that we haven't even thought about yet. Um, so I tend to think that perhaps it is a trait that Ravenclaws are maybe big picture people. Hmm. I, I consider myself a big picture person. Hmm. And Micah, which Ravenclaw do you identify with most? Probably uh, an Ollivander. I always just see, we don't know a whole lot about him, but he seems very much the studious type the academic who, you know, 
built his entire career around one thing and did it extremely, extremely well. He became, you know, the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. (laughs) To what Laura was saying, like, I, I find myself ultra competitive at times when I don't even understand why I'm being ultra competitive. Like I'm the person watching Jeopardy when people get, you know, happy for answering the $200 question. I'm like, why did you even bother saying that out loud? It's not even worth our time. You know, know, things like that. But it's funny you say you're ultra competitive. Like, I don't think I, I like in person, I don't really ever see you being ultra competitive. Like you are in front of the television, I guess is what you're saying. (laughs) So I have a question about that. Is your, does your competitiveness manifest in a way that is different from how we might typically think of a competitive person looking. I know for me, for example, it is very important to me and and we can talk about whether or not this is a a strength or um, a weakness a little bit later. It's incredibly important to me to be seen as uh, impressive or worthy to authority figures. So like my boss, Mm. uh, teachers when I was in school, um, if I'm trying to achieve something major, whether it's get a new job or, um, I don't know, put together a discussion (laughs) for a podcast, it's really important to me that the people that I'm either working with or who are above me uh, find the work that I'm producing to be of a certain quality. And so I can be a little hard on myself if I feel like I've done something that maybe doesn't stack up to what is typically expected of me. So it's almost like competing with myself in a weird way. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. The The competitive edge can come through in many different ways. But I think in a lot of cases for those who are Ravenclaws, it kind of is a bit under the radar. It's not as in your face. And the Jeopardy example would be more of one that's in your face. But I feel like a competitive edge from like a Gryffindor or a Slytherin would be more in your face Mm -hmm. than like a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw is just going to kind of do it under the table and it's not going to be as like you're not going to brag about it so it's subtle yeah it's subtle and and yeah. to your point about what you were saying with the work that you do like i find i'm the same way like i'm really analytical of myself really detail oriented in the work that i do and to a fault at times also i'm not saying it's a it's always a positive trait cuz i think sometimes it can actually inhibit you and and prevent you from being a little bit more open-minded and, and, you know, Mm. doing things in different ways. Like you settle on doing things very specifically and you're not willing to kind of deviate from those ways. So it's not always a positive. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know, Micah, do you ever get dragged down a rabbit hole that you think is really important (laughs) and you spend tons of time working on something that feels like it's the right uh, lead to be chasing only for somebody to come to you and be like, this is all really great information, but, but we want to yeah. consider this other context too. So I think sometimes maybe we're victims of our own tunnel vision. Definitely. You know, I found some other descriptions of Ravenclaws in the Ravenclaw 
uh, welcome letter on Pottermore, which I think Eric cited the Hufflepuff one a couple weeks ago. Uh, apparently, Ravenclaws aren't put off by people who march to a different tune. On the contrary, we value them. Our people are the most individual. Some might even call them eccentrics. Ravenclaws learn quickly. They are the cleverest, quirkiest, and most interesting house at Hogwarts. And Gryffindors haven't got our intellectual curiosity. There's that C word, curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) And the elitism. Why Gryffindors in particular? Well, you know. They're seen as the top dog. <laughs> well, and it's all fun that they appreciate each other for marching to the beat of their own drum, but that's already once they've made it into the club of the elites, right? It's a yeah. Luna would not say that she has a tremendous time in Ravenclaw House necessarily. She yeah. gets made fun of, you know, she yeah. doesn't she's not allowed to participate in any of the other Ravenclaw games. Well, I think this is actually a really good segue to us talking a bit about how the Ravenclaw common room is described, Eric, I think it's going to hit on one of the points that you just mentioned. So the description of their common room reads, the arched windows set into the walls of our circular common room look down at the school grounds, the lake, the forbidden forest, the Quidditch pitch, and the herbology gardens. No other house in the school has such stunning views. So what do we make of these words, look down? Casual reference or more meaning? They're above it all. They're above it. They're better than. I wouldn't read too far into this. Your your common room sits up high. Your your tower sits up high. That's okay. I I think that there was (laughs) intended meaning here. Um, This really makes me think of the ivory tower stereotype. You often hear... Um, thrown at uh, academics who are maybe very lofty and in the clouds and not in touch with reality, you know, with what the everyman is dealing with down, you know, amongst the rest of us mere mortals. Um, so I think that it was it was a nod to that kind of stereotype. Does it necessarily mean that all Ravenclaws are elitist? Of course not. Um, we have a perfect example of that in Luna, in somebody who's decidedly not elitist. Um, but I think that it was a fun uh, illusion, similar to it was fun to put the Slytherins in the dungeons. Uh, it was fun to put the Hufflepuffs next to the kitchens. <laughs> And uh, I don't know what Gryffindor's common room signifies. I I don't know if it was placed anywhere significant in the castle, like the other three houses. Yeah, it was perfectly placed. And Andrew, (laughs) to to answer your question, though, why not just say it looks out at the school grounds? Because the tower is so high that you have to look down. Well, I mean, Hufflepuff by comparison to like, isn't the Slytherins like, aren't they in the lake? They're like underneath with like a view of the lake and Hufflepuff is basically like ground floor as well. Very, very earthy. And by the way, I think it's very Ravenclaw like to be as critical of her own house as Laura and I are being on this podcast. 100%. Fair. See, that's like, we, we are people who are critical of things because we care. Right. That's why I feel like, is is it true to say Micah and I are the most critical of Harry Potter? <laughs> because I'm wondering this now. Huh. I don't know. 
I think we Depends all dish it. Depends on the it. context. Yeah. We've planned the best discussions by far. Well, <laughs> I wanted to say that, actually. I wanted to make sure when you were talking about being nervous and self-critical, I wanted to say, what a fabulous discussion that you two have planned today. I just really want to put that out there. Thank I mean, you. Look, thank you. Andrew, Eric, if, if you're cool with Laura and I looking down on you, then that's fine by us. Well, I, I will you know, say, look, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I take Laura's point and I absolutely see how it could be seen that way. And I'll just back it up now by adding just the way this whole passage is written is also very egotistical. You know, the eagle soars. It's very colorful <laughs> language. The eagle soars where others cannot climb. The common room is behind a door with an enchanted knocker. The arched window set into the walls. And like you said, look down at the grounds. Um, no other house in the school has such stunning views. Like the whole thing is just very pompous. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I looked up the other Sorting Hat songs. They're very, very short for Ravenclaw. But book four says for Ravenclaw, the c- cleverest would always be the best. They actually said the best. And in book five said, Ravenclaw, we'll teach those whose intelligence is surest. So she's kind of a purist. That goes back to the point that we've made in the other episodes when we were talking about Slytherin and and Hufflepuff and just the fact that there are inherent biases in each of these houses, Mm -hmm. no matter which house you're talking about. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, um, while we talk about elitism, uh, I think you'll be happy to hear a little bit more about how Ravenclaws get into our common room. (laughs) Micah, do you want to share? Yeah. uh, Andrew touched on this a little bit, but the door to the Ravenclaw common room lies at the top of a tall winding staircase. It has no handle, but an enchanted bronze knocker in the shape of an eagle. When you rap on the door, this knocker will ask you a question, and if you can answer it correctly, you're allowed in. This simple barrier has kept out everyone but Ravenclaws for nearly a thousand years. A great bonding experience for students trying to figure out the answers. Security nightmare. Security (laughs) nightmare. 50 kids outside of the... What if you forgot like a book for class? You're totally screwed. Oh, man. Well, yeah. And what are the questions? Are they specific to Ravenclaws, types of Ravenclaws, or, you know, Ravenclaw traits? Like, why why can't the other students get in from other houses? Um, It definitely seems like a faulty security system. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, considering Gryffindors where you just have to know a password, right? And they'll yeah. let anybody in. Yeah. No, I know. Oh, We'll complain about that one next week. This week, I'm wondering why it's just a simple question. And they even have to say, they, you know, a simple barrier, which implies that it could imply that it's not a very tough question. I would get stuck. I would absolutely be. No, like really, like I, the Sphinx fiddle from book four just like floored me. Meg had to explain it to me like two years ago. It's it's literally stumped me for like 19 years. So Eric is the host of Quizich. You can't say that. You have to pretend like oh, you know all goodness. the answers well, to everything. Like, yeah, you know it's like Jeopardy. People, yeah. You know how some people didn't get the Sphinx fiddle right away. Um, Spider is kind of a little wonky. Um, I feel like. With the Ravenclaw common room, at least, the answer given that we see, you know, a circle has no beginning or they go into non-existence, that is to say all things, blah, 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 that could be 
that it, as long as you have a quote well-reasoned argument like the door knocker compliments i think it's luna well-reasoned you should be able to talk your way in if you don't have the answer perhaps there are alternate answers to allow you in so if you've forgotten mm. a spell book as long as you know generally how to like showcase that you've thought about the question being asked maybe that's how you really like get in in a rush doesn't mcgonagall get in at some point yeah and she and flitwick according to pottermore were going to be in each other's houses like mcgonagall was a strong contender for um ravenclaw and flitwick was that for gryffindor i believe that's what it said interesting yeah so I have to admit, I mean, I, I'm a pretty strong Ravenclaw, but I, this would stress me out. <laughs> if this was the barrier uh, to entry to where I was living, um, <laughs> I would be so nervous that I was going to be the dumb one <laughs> in my house that couldn't answer the questions and that I would just be perpetually stuck outside. Um, it would be crippling (laughs) like my anxiety would just like get the best of me this type of technology needs to be created in the muggle world a smart lock for your front door that asks you a question using amazon's echo and then you have to answer correctly and if you do it'll unlock for you that'd be so fun (laughs) can you laura give yourself some credit you you and micah too you would both be able to answer these questions they can't be too difficult because right. the, the students got to get in. Yeah. Can you imagine coming back from like a long day of <laughs> classes? Maybe you had Quidditch practice. You had to stay out late for any number of reasons. And you just kind of like tiredly stumble back to the common room. And it throws out some crazy quizzical question. And you're just <laughs> like, forget it. I'm going to sleep. Right on the floor, right here. Right cause... here. Or you just well, there's got to be safety out. in numbers, right? Like it's like doing an escape room with five of your best friends. You know, like there can be discussion had, right? You can suss out the answer. And once once one person goes through the door, the door's not going to immediately shut, and everyone's going to have to answer their own riddle. It doesn't work that way. And again, right. security nightmare. Uh, somebody can True. pretend to be a Ravenclaw in this group of Ravenclaws and just go through with the rest of them. Well, and I saw somebody in the Discord pointed out earlier. You know, I'm not going to waste time uh, trying to figure out the password to the tower. I'm just going to scale the tower if I want to get in. <laughs> Wouldn't that be tougher? And, Physically oh, yeah, tough. Yeah. Or you can get on a broom and fly up there. That's that's the thing that wow. I think is is the irony about where Ravenclaw's common room is situated. Because you would think that it's this terribly hard feat to get into. But if you apply an ounce of common sense to it, if you really wanted to get in, you don't need to go through the main entrance and answer a riddle. It's a tower. There are windows. (laughs) That look down. (laughs) Do the the windows open, though? Hmm. That's a good question. Yeah, it could be like the girls' steps to the girls' dorms in Gryffindor. It could be like, nope, you can't get in this way. You can only go out the windows. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. The founders didn't trust the other houses. (laughs) They'll try to get in. (laughs) Yeah. But, I'm, you know, I'm happy for them. I'm happy they have a good view of, like, the clouds and the scenery and the landscape to feel like they've been elevated of sorts to you know among the houses i like that kind of a nice view is nice to have 
People on House Ooh. Hunters love nice views when they're shopping for homes. How much would you pay for Ravenclaw Tower, Andrew? <laughs> as long as it also has a nice kitchen and granite countertops, hundreds I don't of think, thousands of galleons. I don't think granite was probably a thing at Hogwarts. Fair. We'll be back to the show in just a moment. But first, I wanted to share a quick word from one of our sponsors, Third Love. Some of you may know I've been out of my home for a year waiting on some repairs, and I'm back now and really enjoying the familiarity of being home, but also the sense of being in a brand new space. I feel this way about Third Love, too. They're the best fitting and most reliable bras I've ever owned, and I recently invested in a couple of brand new bras to treat myself. Just to make sure my fit was still right, I used Third Love's Fitting Room Quiz, which gives customized recommendations based on your fit needs and style preferences. It was nice to return to that familiar routine, but get something new and different to incorporate into my wardrobe. The new bras fit perfectly and are just as comfortable as I've come to expect from Third Love. And you can count on that fit, whether you need wireless bras for casual days or some additional lift with Third Love's number one best-selling 24-7 classic t-shirt bra. Either way, you'll get the comfort and support you need in a variety of sizes. And Third Love stands by their products, so if you don't love it, exchanges and returns are free. Third Love knows you deserve to feel comfortable and confident 24-7. So right now they're offering our listeners 20% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash mugglecast to find your perfect fitting bra and get 20% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash mugglecast for 20% off today. Really great uh, Ravenclaw trait that uh, Lance Dance just pointed out in the Discord is that Ravenclaws have the best butts walking up all them stairs all day, every day. Ah. Fair. No need for a stair stepper. I think I would hate that so much, honestly. (laughs) I hate the stair stepper. So moving on, we wanted to talk about this stereotype of overly studious students uh, or Ravenclaws, if you will, having their noses stuck in a book. So I thought we could kick this off by asking what kinds of students did we consider ourselves to be during our schooling years? Were you studious? Were you a social butterfly? Were you the class clown? How would you categorize yourselves? I was somewhere in the middle. I never studied too hard. I definitely wasn't the class clown. I was an outcast in middle school in particular. I kept to myself during all my schooling years, pretty much. Um, I've, I got some very bad grades at times, and I didn't beat myself up over too much. <laughs> and I dropped out of college. So I'm just kind of all over the place. I was definitely more that class clown vibe. I did well in math and science, but I was more in school for... I don't know, my own enjoyment, necessarily. I did study hard at certain times when there was an importance placed on like a test. But I was not in, you know, any AP classes. And um, I probably would have liked to have done there was like a AP world history type thing. And I think in retrospect, I really would have enjoyed enjoyed that. But I did not apply myself enough in academia in order to be qualifiable for that class. One of my high school regrets, while education is free, folks, you better do it. Micah, what about you? Do you <laughs> have your nose in books all the time? Uh, 
I wouldn't say all the time, but I definitely wasn't the class clown and I definitely wasn't overly social. I think if I was just part of a group that was really ultra competitive when it came to academics, like a, ah. a group of friends. So that pushed me at times and I wasn't always the best. And I think that probably bothered me, <laughs> but uh, it all worked out okay in the end. I think it's very stereotypical to say that Ravenclaws have their nose stuck in the book in their books all the time. Mm. I don't know that we really even see examples of that, to be honest with you. Like the most prominent Ravenclaw is Luna and she moves to the beat of her own drum, right? She's eccentric, like mm. we were talking about earlier. I don't know, maybe maybe when people think of Ravenclaws, they just think of the library filled with blue and gold and just kinda of, or blue and gray and just kinda of like that's where they are all day, every day. It's actually blue Maybe. and bronze. Oh, see, I don't even know my house colors. Blue is what I care most about. <laughs> you failed the test, Mike. Member, <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, in in the books, but again, that's a movieism. They change it in the movies. Well, you know, being the elitist, I went for gold because what's bronze really at the end of the day? Third place. <laughs> Third place. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yep. 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 <laughs> and Laura, I was pretty studious, but I wouldn't say that I was top of my class or anything like that. Um, I always excelled in academics in the subject matters that I cared about. <laughs> so for the subject matters that didn't particularly appeal to me, I, I still tried to do well, um, but it resulted in me being an AB student. You know, I got A's and all the things that I loved and in the things that I didn't care much for. I was more of a, a B, B plus kind of gal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think the same was true throughout my entire academic career. Even when I went to grad school, there were some classes that I just knew I couldn't be bothered to uh, expend energy on. But then there were other classes where I really, really tried and like would uh, work myself into a stupor <laughs> trying to be good at. Yeah. I feel that when I'm when I really care about something, I will work hard. But if it's something I don't care about, if it's a course I don't care about, then I'm not going to try. For some reason, the grades just weren't worth it to me, weren't worth the stress. Well, Micah, you raised an interesting question here about viewing Ravenclaws. You know, we've kind of talked about the other houses as being spectrums, right? Um We've got the creative side of Ravenclaw versus the studious side. Can you tell us a little more about that and sort of where you're seeing those sides represented? Yeah, I actually had copied this over from another document, so I'm not going to take credit for it. I don't know if it was oh, Eric or Andrew me. who put it in there. See, I'm, I'm you know, Look, you're yeah, you're citing your sources. Look at you. Yeah, <laughs> Is I'm he say citing? It was probably now Eric. Well, he just said one of us did it. Plagiarizing yeah. isn't very Ravenclaw of you. That's true. Or is it? Hmm. Um, I got caught for plagiarism once. Actually, it was a funny <gasps> story. It was my, yeah, I didn't write the paper, but actually it was my mom. And so when my science teacher said that my science fair a project was plagiarized. It was my mom who's like got her master's in 48 credits. And yeah, my mom definitely didn't plagiarize. It was one of those online software systems. But mm-hmm. have you guys ever been caught for plagiarism? No. No. I would no. never. Because <laughs> we totally got caught. But hey, we, let's admit to it live well, on we grew air. Up, we grew up in, no, we grew up in where you could just like copy and paste people's assignments into like that 
that website that does right. it. Yeah. Like our teachers mm-hmm. would actively run those. Pro- and I'm just assuming that's just the norm now. It is. I've cheated, but okay. I haven't plagiarized. No. Y'all, yeah. you got to be careful with this because to be honest, half the time your teachers don't even need a plagiarism checker to know when you're plagiarizing. <laughs> right. I it's just one- not you. <laughs> yeah. I caught one of my students doing it one time. I knew from the first line of the paper that he didn't write it. So sure enough, <laughs> I Googled that first sentence, article came up, found oh, the exact thing God. that he pulled it from. I was so mad. See, what, now, what grade was he? He was in college. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. Eric, did your mom plagiarize or she just wrote it for you? It She wrote for me, but it, the, it came up on my teacher's plagiarism detector because I, there's a fine line, isn't there, between... Uh, Citing and pl- and and paraphrasing. I think it was okay. a paraphrasing yeah. issue. I oh, think that okay. it was. I think that it was a unique enough topic. It was whether plants grow with uh, um, rock music or no. That wasn't the one. It was life <laughs> on Mars. And so you're using a scientific term. And you know this is 2001 or 2002. So I'm assuming there weren't that many articles on life on Mars readily available, that kind of thing. So I think it was actually a, a disagreement in terms of how big to paraphrase. If I had a okay. guess, I got a D. No, it was not great. <laughs> no, a D is pretty generous for plagiarism, though. I will say. Well, thank you. Yes, it was. That was very much like shown to us as kids as being the number one thing never to do and i didn't do it still to this day so <laughs> it's, totally it's the opposite uh laura what you were talking about uh, that i experienced um one of the kids that i went to school with showed me a paper one time when we were in a high school where they literally wrote in the paper somewhere mr so-and-so is a bleep and bleep 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 keep going keep going keep going and he got like an A minus on it. So clearly wow. the teacher wasn't reading. He just didn't oh, read it. It's no. the opposite of plagiarism yeah. in this case, well, I guess. I mean, there there are um, lazy people in every profession. And we here at MuggleCast do not endorse cheating, plagiarism, or any other form yeah. of... Or exactly. even having your mom write so papers. Eric, Don't do it. <laughs> Eric, I will just say that I borrowed a little bit of um, my Lockhart side for putting this question in the document, but I will give you credit for it. Uh, Yeah. So I think we've talked a lot about the studious side of being a Ravenclaw, but what about the creative side? What about Luna? I mean, is there anybody more creative in the entire Potter series than her and the way that she just expresses herself and is authentically herself? Right, it extends to her father too. I mean, the Quibbler is definitely a unique publication, and (laughs) there's definitely uh, some creative thinking going on there. But yeah, I mean, the big thing about Luna is she isn't afraid to be herself. And at first, people are very put off by it, but of course, Harry, most of all, really comes around on Luna. Yeah, she has also this like blunt honesty. Which, if yeah. wielded by the wrong person or a person who wanted to like do harm, if if wielded by anyone other than a Ravenclaw, I think would be very harmful. I think that if anyone's hurt by something Luna said, it's because they're hurt by their own reflection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a there's a weird 
cutting part of Luna that is all about honesty and truthfulness. And when you hear the phrase like the truth will out, like, you know, it'll come out. You kind of think of like Luna's ability to pierce through all the BS. A hundred percent. And I think something that probably helps to set Luna apart from the other students, and it's also something that allows her to relate to Harry. It's ultimately the thing that tears down the wall Harry has built between himself and Luna um, is the accidental death of her mother. Um, She died doing uh, a rare bit of magic that backfired on her and Luna had to grow up in a household where taking that kind of risk was apparently something of a an expectation, right? I mean, it's why we see her being so willing to put her life on the line, despite not being terribly close with Harry and, and the rest of the gang at that point in the series. Because she felt she was doing what was right and what was asked of her in that moment. And I think that it's probably a trait she gets from her mom. Yeah. And while she's definitely a a strong example of a creative Ravenclaw, I don't know that we get a whole lot of insight into um, her studiousness, but there are certainly characters from Ravenclaw House where they use their wit to serve some really terrible purposes. I know, Laura, you noted that for both Quirrell as well as Lockhart. Yeah. And I kind of wonder, is the tipping point for Ravenclaws, is the the weakness for Ravenclaws that is, um, it, it's sort of our Achilles heel. It's what can turn us potentially to the dark side or to towards nefarious intent is our pride and also uh, how that intersects with a potential desire for power and influence. Mm. Right. We saw that with Quirrell 100%. Micah, you touched on that earlier in the episode. Um, But then you also see it with Lockhart. I mean, we don't uh, get to see him remain sane long enough to see which side of the Wizarding War he would fall on. But we know that he was ultimately willing to wipe the memories of two 12 year olds to save his reputation as this famously skilled wizard that he actually was not he was taking credit for other people's work the whole time right he was a fraud and yep very good at what he did and it was probably the traits that he honed in ravenclaw house that allowed him to do what he did and i think he's another example of uh of a peter pettigrew from Gryffindor, we always talk mm-hmm. about how, well, you know, can you can you flip it on the other side? And I know we'll probably talk about him when we do our Gryffindor episode, but mm. you could argue that courage comes in many different forms and the courage to, you know, leave your friends and betray your friends and go and join the Dark Lord is certainly not the same as the courage that is shown by other characters in the series, but it's still courage nonetheless. And so mm-hmm. there's another example of somebody using a house trait to do something that 
is not so good. It's an interesting observation. I'm sure part of it, too, is their upbringing outside of Hogwarts that had these negative influences on them. But it's maybe making me think maybe we need some classes at Hogwarts to teach people how to use these traits of theirs for good. Maybe there needs Mm. to be like specifically a Ravenclaw class about how you can use Ravenclaw Mm. traits to be a good person and why you shouldn't be a you know what. I love yeah. that idea, like a <laughs> Ravenclaw seminar type thing. Yeah. Like Gryffindor. Said, yeah. Like, so you're here now. What? You know, right. What do you do with these traits? What do you do in this house that the Sorting Hat assigned you? I like that a yeah. lot. And I think this is a point that has come up in all of these discussions so far, and I'm sure it will uh, continue to. But you can pervert any institution or the intent behind any um, positive cause or group um, simply because we're human and humans always manage to bring their own interpretations of things to the table. So it makes complete sense that someone like Quirrell would go off into the, the wilds of Albania hoping to get some real world experience so that his uh, lessons are not just based in theory. And he decides once he's there and once he's found what he's found, I'm going to level up. I'm going to take this somewhere that nobody would have ever expected me to be able to go. You know, that yeah. reminded me got as, him. that reminded me as well of that quote from Ollivander about, you know, who doing terrible things, but great. Mm-hmm. And even in that moment, Harry's like, Harry wasn't sure that he liked this person very much. Um, And like, it's true. But at the same time, it comes from this being morally outside. Like, there's no morality to Ollivander. He is disturbingly calling Voldemort's actions great, as in grandiose. Um, He's not wrong about that, but it's so unmoored from something like a Gryffindor mentality of Voldemort's bad, we're good, that it does unsettle you a bit. Kind of like how Luna, a fellow Ravenclaw, also just unsettles you with the truth. Ollivander is similarly like not tied down to any one morality, it would seem. No. And even his line to Harry in Sorcerer's Stone, the wand chooses the wizard right mm. like that's such a ravenclaw thing to say <laughs> like you based your business off that tagline but you know i'm sure you could have not played with somebody's mind like oh like think about what that does to you psychologically right when you walk in at yeah that tender age and you're just wait wait the wand's supposed to choose me what if it's not a good wand like what if i don't get what my friend got like, i don't know i'm just that's a yeah. great well, we all know the iPod chooses the customer, right? Or the <laughs> iPhone as well. That's why I have just the XS and not none of the pros, right? Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the characters, right? We've we've mentioned Luna. We briefly mentioned Cho. Those are the two that really get the most airtime during the Potter series, uh, outside of Flitwick being head of house. But I'm wondering, with a lot of this other discussion that we've had, you know, we've talked about Quirrell and Lockhart and and Ollivander. If we would have known they were Ravenclaws, would our perspective of the house maybe have changed a little bit? Hmm. Good, bad, be. indifferent, doesn't matter. Yeah, I think we would have. I think the books would have had a serious problem with 
Ravenclaws, kind of like I spotted how all the Hufflepuffs were just very catty and horrible to Harry. Um, if we would have known that Quirrell was a Ravenclaw, uh, Lockhart, Ollivander, we would th- that the books would have had a really big problem with snooty or self-interested individuals just either straight up manipulating Harry or being too in pursuit of their own, not necessarily greatness, but proving to others that they're great in order to endanger people. I think the books would have had a real big problem because the only antithesis to that is like somebody like Luna, who's just there to like live her life and is fine. But Luna cannot hold up the weight of everyone else that is working against either the side of good uh, or just Harry. Well, it's interesting because we were just talking a couple weeks ago about how the tone is set for Hufflepuff very early on. If we found out in book one that Quirrell was a Ravenclaw, if we found out in book two that Lockhart was a Ravenclaw, that could have set a bad tone for Ravenclaw for the remainder of the series. So maybe it was by design that they're not mentioned, that their houses aren't mentioned. When did we hear it? Pottermore? Pottermore. Yeah, I I might have to go back on what I said earlier about it being book canon. I think it was Pottermore. Yeah. Yeah. Because to your point, Andrew, it would probably taken a lot of pressure off of Slytherin. Because if you go through (laughs) the first two books and the DADA teacher is from Ravenclaw in both of those books and Voldemort was on the back of his head in book one and (laughs) book two, he's just a terrible professor. had to have been scenes where we're hearing, you know, Harry's being told, like, just because there's a couple bad eggs in a house doesn't mean everybody's so bad. And that would have been a good reminder for the reader as well when they're thinking about Slytherin. It just yeah. doesn't mesh well with uh, there's not a witch who wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin. Mm-hmm. It's a right. direct contradiction to that. But that's also Hagrid's perception. Right? Yeah, Hagrid's just being a he was he was a little <laughs> tipsy when he said that. <laughs> I think that it it is an interesting thing to point out that perhaps um intellectual elitism may have been a larger issue in this story if there hadn't been the overarching issues of um a war happening of um the classism that was at play the discrimination that was at play based on blood status or um, whatever breed of magical creature you may have been. Um, Perhaps if there had been less um, serious and life-threatening drama happening, Harry at all would have had more time to be like, oh, the Ravenclaws are so obnoxious. They're so snooty. They think they're better than us. Because with Ravenclaw, maybe you can make the assumption or you can um, lean on the stereotype that they think they're smarter than you. So they think they're better than you. But I would argue that uh, it's way worse to think you're smarter than someone because it, or excuse me, it's way better to think that you're are way worse to think that you're better than someone because of their blood status than it is to think you're better than someone because of your intellect. Mm-hmm. Does that make well sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We should talk about the gray lady. She really captures something that I think is really interesting context on uh, Ravenclaw herself. So we know the gray lady, Helena Ravenclaw, uh, was the daughter of Rowena Ravenclaw. 
We find out in book seven, towards the end, that the Grey Lady actually stole uh, Rowena Ravenclaw's diadem. And Harry is, of course, shocked to learn that Rowena's own daughter took this from her. But she added this additional bit of context. She said, my mother, they say, never admitted that the diadem was gone, but pretended that she had it still. She concealed her loss, my dreadful betrayal, even from the other founders of Hogwarts. Yeah. Um, fake it till you make it or kind of like <laughs> nobody will know the difference, like prove it. Like there's an arrogance, but there's also and there's pride, but there's a lot of hurt for when your own child, you know, when you suffer this betrayal. So she faked it convincingly from those even closest to her. But it came from this place like she didn't willingly decide to fake it out of just because she was going to be smart enough to pull it off right so like she made the best of a bad situation i think that there had to be a level of embarrassment too i mean mm -hmm. the creator of this tiara that effectively made you so much wittier and so much more clever the person who originated all of the values that would come to make up the idea of Ravenclaw House did not foresee that her own daughter would be so threatened by her that she would try to steal the diadem. Yeah. So I think there is an element of pride here. Um, I think she was using her pride to shield herself from the embarrassment, from the judgment, from the other founders. And also um, the fear of losing this thing that was so iconically hers, right? Wanting to conceal this tool of cleverness that she had all this time to pretend she still had it, to give her whatever power or influence that she thought she had while that thing was in her possession. I would argue those were the things she didn't want to let go of. Frumpy but super smart said in our Discord, another symptom of Ravenclaw elitism, she literally made herself a crown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make myself a crown to make myself smarter. Yeah. I would just go to Burger King and get the $1 paper crown that they gave with kids meals. <laughs> I liked wearing that. Do they charge you a dollar for that so piece of cardboard? Hufflepuff. <laughs> you know, what, it was jewel encrusted or paper jewel encrusted, but... It was like, really nice. In fairness, Slytherin created an entire chamber below the school with a horrible monster in it. And Gryffindor yes. had a sword. So it's, you know, like, I get the whole crown yeah. thing. Yeah. I mean, I guess Hufflepuff gets through unscathed there a little bit. We Just should all want to be Hufflepuffs, remember? That was the lesson <laughs> we learned. <laughs> right. Paper crowns all the way. Well, I thought we could talk a little bit about Cho as well given that she was Harry's real first love interest in the series. So yes, yeah, she was interesting <laughs> that Harry is drawn to Ravenclaw instead of being critical here. Laura did a really nice job of laying out the fact that Cho actually has some really good moments in the yeah. series. So I just want to highlight, yes, Cho makes a very big mistake in book five, right? Mm-hmm. But we have to remember um, that she comes across as a pretty genuinely kind person at other points in the series. I would also argue that much of the Cho hate in this fandom comes from 
movie five changing the plot point about Marietta Edgecombe. We remember in the book, it was Cho's friend Marietta who ratted out the DA, but in the film, they changed it so that it would be Cho as the person ratting the DA out. I forgot about that. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the Cho hate comes from. I think it's very undeserved. Eric, would you like to read this passage from uh, Goblet of Fire where Harry's asking Cho to the ball? (laughs) Oh, would I? (laughs) Do you you want want to go to the ball with me? Said Harry. Why did he have to go red now? Why? Oh, said Cho, and she went red too. Oh, Harry, I'm really sorry. And she truly looked it. I've already said I'll go with someone else. Oh, said Harry. It was odd. A moment before, his insides had been writhing like snakes, but suddenly he didn't seem to have any insides at all. Oh, okay, he said. No problem. I'm really sorry, she said again. This is a really genuine interaction. They're both embarrassed. But she genuinely seems sorry for needing to say no. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a really good scene, actually, because I think we've all been in similar situations where we're turned down for something. And I don't think Cho could have handled it be- better other than saying, yes, I will go to the ball with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. If she's booked up. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is the next best way to handle it. So. Yeah, you got to give her props for this. Um, I'll read another passage from uh, book five. And this is when Cho and Harry meet in the Owlery. Um, She says that Umbridge woman's foul, putting you in detention just because you told the truth about how he died. Everyone heard about it. It was all over the school. You were really brave standing up to her like that. Mm. Again, I think these are the moments people forget about when it comes to Cho. Yeah. I feel like Cho got done dirty here. Justice for Cho. Just. (laughs) (laughs) I actually, as far as Harry being into Cho, I can't get out of my head this, I don't know if it was a joke or discourse I read online, that was like, Harry's only romantically interested in girls who could kick his ass at Quidditch. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because if you think about, like, he's into Ginny and he's into Cho, and they're both, you know... On, on the Quidditch team, they're both jocks, kind of, you know, I, I really like that characterization of why Harry is interested in both of them. But um, but yeah, Cho is is very heartfelt. And just because we see more of her emotions on display, I'm always thinking of like the Puttyfoot's tea scene when I'm thinking of Cho. But there's nothing inherently wrong with that. And honestly, she's been through trauma. I think Cho as a character has the difficult position in the books of reminding the readers that people and characters actually are suffering as a result of what is going on. Harry kind of goes with the flow the whole time, even when he's right next to death's door and it's only till deathly hallows that he really analyzes where he is. But Cho has to break down and mourn Cedric in a way that get, that makes Harry just consistently uncomfortable but it's because that's what gives the whole situation weight. Yeah. And also her wanting to be close to Harry because he was the last person to be with Cedric when Cedric yeah. was alive. Right. I think that um, a lot of the Cho hate is so undeserved because, as you said, Eric, she's gone through an incredible, immense trauma and 
Harry does not have the emotional maturity at that point in the series to understand it. So he just thinks she's kind of a whiny crybaby. But I think we all have to ask ourselves, how would we react in that kind of situation? Yeah, it it's also interesting to me, too, that as you work through Goblet of Fire and then into Order of the Phoenix, you have basically Ravenclaws on opposite sides of Harry, right? Cho is on one side, Luna's on the other. One mm. kind of falls out of favor with him. The other really becomes one of his best friends. And I just found that interesting that those two characters happen to be from the same house, whereas we don't necessarily see that at all with Hufflepuff or with Slytherin. I feel like that's a good ring theory moment, too, because aren't we first introduced to Cho in Prisoner of Azkaban? Yeah, in Quidditch. And then, yeah, and then to Luna in Order of the Phoenix, and they, they sort of swap, right? Because in Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry's stomach is already doing flip-flops when he sees Cho out on the Quidditch field, um, and he sort of, like, peaks with her in a way. Like, mm-hmm. he really, really admires her, and then it just drops off so suddenly in book five, and that's around the time that his admiration for Luna is starting to ascend. I like yeah. that point. That's really cool. Only a point a Ravenclaw would make. <laughs> we, well, All we right. made it together, though. We did. Two Ravenclaws. <laughs> May I read this um, last Andrew, quote? Yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if you can read this. I feel like this gets into some of the nuance that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, so this is the scene about Marietta that Laura mentioned before. She's a lovely person, really, said Cho. She just made a mistake. Harry looked at her incredulously. A lovely person who made a mistake? She sold us all out, including you. Well, we all got away, didn't we? Said Cho pleadingly. You know, her mom works for the ministry. It's really difficult for her. So I want to know, is there an argument to be made in Marietta's defense here? Uh, if we were pa- Cho, would we try defending our friend in this case? On paper, it's fair. When you're in it, when you're in the books, when you're in Harry's Gryffindor mindset, there's only good and evil, there's only black and white, there is no nuance. She is a traitor, and Cho, by extension, is a traitor for seeing what Marietta did as anything other than the height of, uh, you know, disaster, of betrayal. Mm -hmm. This is a tough one for me. (laughs) Yeah, it is. I think hindsight allows us to definitely be a little bit more sympathetic towards Cho in this moment. This is also her best friend, presumably at the time. And you'd expect your best friend to defend you. And doesn't Harry also make the point that other members of Dumbledore's army have family members who work for the ministry too? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point point about Ron. Mm. And I forgot Cho calls something like, Hermione did foul was like the the payback charm where she like yeah the jinx yeah and then Harry's like don't insult my friend I think she's brilliant I think Hermione is awesome and I think Maria got totally what she deserved this is a good like walk into our Gryffindor discussion next week right but like yeah, which was the wrong thing to say if he was trying to win Cho back <laughs> no and it's gone it's done forever because Harry's too beetle headed about this and with the amount of pressure from the top that Dolores Umbridge was able to put on these children 
they're still 15 this year. Um, it, there was always going to be a weak link just because it's Marietta, just because it's Cho's friend, she gets the, like, has to bear the brunt of it. But there was always going to be a crack uh, in, you know, the, the weak link just happened to be a Ravenclaw. I don't think that has anything to do with her house and everything to do with the emotions and the very real considerations that somebody realistically would have as a member of the secret society in a school when secret societies are banned. Yeah. I'll also say too, I think this could be somewhat of a Ravenclaw trait. I know for me, um, I will be very defensive of the people that I care about in these kinds of public context, if you will. So if somebody's coming at my best friend about something they think my friend did wrong, and I think they're out of line, I think that they're taking it too far, I will rise to the occasion to defend my friend, even if I agree that my friend was wrong. Because I feel like if anyone is going to tell my friend that they were wrong, it's going to be me. <laughs> and I'm doing that because I care. Yeah, and right. Was it just a movieism too that Veretta serum was used, or did she use that on Marietta as well in the books? Do we? I think don't they fix it I think so that, that movieism don't, don't they fix it? Does like Dumbledore and them all fix it so that Marietta can't confess? Yes. So Kingsley um, casts a spell on her in the moment so that she can't confirm. Oh, that. That's right. Any of the information. But yeah, I, I think yeah. the, if I recall correctly, I think the Verita Serum was a movie. It's a movie thing. Yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah. It's oh, all wow. Dumbledore's fault at the end of the day. Go easy on Dumbledore. <laughs> That's not right. I'm saying that because I saw a review recently saying we're too hard on Dumbledore. Well, Dumbledore is a Gryffindor, so we can get to that next week. <laughs> yeah. Also, Dumbledore, he's got his faults. No, sorry. that's not true at all. We sorry, can do a not whole sorry. episode on that. He's like simultaneously one of the best and worst characters in the Harry Potter books. <laughs> That's where All it right. should be. So we'll wrap up our discussion on Ravenclaw in a moment. We're going to talk about some other Ravenclaws quickly. And then I had an idea for a segment. I don't know. Maybe we need to throw it out now and I'll discuss why when we get there. But first, it's time for a word from this week's sponsor, HelloFresh. And we've got some free food lined up for you. Fall is busy with kids or maybe ourselves going back to school, new TV to enjoy, fall activities, but HelloFresh recipes save time you'd otherwise spend meal planning, shopping, and chopping so you can get back to what matters. HelloFresh's family-friendly menu is a big win for back-to-school season with easy, delicious recipes for drama-free dinners. HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, from vegetarian meals and calorie smart choices to extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy, with recipes designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. And thankfully, HelloFresh is over 30% cheaper than shopping at grocery stores with pre-portioned ingredients that ensure you won't spend money on excess food that ends up going in the trash. I love getting my HelloFresh box. The ingredients are separated by meal in cute paper bags, so it's easy to organize everything that comes in. And then there's the food itself. Oh my gosh, so many to choose from and all have their own fun twists, so you're getting original meals each week. From Italian to Asian to American, there's plenty of different types of meals to choose from, 
Every one of them is better than the last. These cooks at HelloFresh, they really know what they're doing to satisfy you. You will not be let down. And by the way, yes, last week I just told you about Green Chef. Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh, and with a wider array of meal plans to choose from, there's something for everyone to enjoy. I love switching between the brands, and now our listeners can enjoy both brands at a discount with us. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Muggle14 and use code Muggle14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash Muggle14 and use code Muggle14 for up to 14 free meals, including free shipping. That's seven twice. Seven times two, 14. It's magical. I'm telling you. (laughs) 14 free meals, including free shipping. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. All right, Micah, let's run through... A few of the notable Ravenclaws that we didn't get very much time to highlight today. Yeah. So I think we can probably start with uh, Padma Patil. We did mention Luna. We mentioned Cho. But Padma is certainly another one of the Ravenclaw characters that does come up fairly frequently. She's probably most notable for taking Ron to the Yule Ball. (laughs) <laughs> poor Notice thing how I wah, flipped wah. That around there <laughs> yeah i think it's very interesting too that while she was sorted into ravenclaw her sister her twin sister was sorted into gryffindor that's right i wonder what life would be like when your twin is in another hogwarts house mm-hmm. yeah she also became a prefect in her fifth year so she was a ravenclaw prefect that year which speaks to her you know with itness i can't imagine the uh riddles she had to come up with for the common room as a, as oh, a prefect. God, do you think everybody gets like a hard to higher level riddle if they have a prefect badge on? That would be awful. Or they're responsible for coming up with some of those riddles. Oh, yeah. Then we also have Professor Trelawney. Yes, you do. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I am a Ravenclaw. Kind of like Gilderoy <laughs> in the fact that she was a big old fraud, but figured out a way to... Well, mostly a fraud. But is she a she, fraud, though? Like, I, she, I think, she has an ability she can't control, really. She, she didn't does think yeah. she was a fraud. Well, I think she does think that she's a fraud. I think nobody would be more surprised than Sybil herself to learn that she actually gave good intel. But Dumbledore, for strategic reasons, does not tell her that she did. Does she believe she is superior? No. But she's, I don't think so. She just, she definitely interacts with the students in a way that suggests that she is very full of herself and very hoity-toity. But I think that that comes from a place of deep insecurity. I think that she kind of like Lockhart is of a fake it till you make it type, you know, kind of mentality here. And I think that she learned everything that she could without herself really utilizing her gift and yeah, so it's, I think it's a complete accident that she's not a fraud, but I think that she's behaving as if she is a fraud and has to conceal it from everyone by overacting and claiming to do all these amazing feats. I do think that she can be a bit elitist when it comes to who she thinks is capable of performing in the field of divination. Um, so we absolutely see this with her effectively prejudice um, towards Ferenz, right? Um, When he starts teaching the subject, we see it in her reaction towards students who don't gel 
with the subject. We see it in the way she treats Hermione, for example. I mean, the way that she is perfectly willing to tell a 13-year-old child that your soul is old and dry <laughs> and all of these horrible things. You do not have the gift. Yeah. So I think that there there's some of that there. You could make an argument that it's confined specifically to the field of divination, though. Yeah. It it is somewhat disappointing, though, that so many of the Ravenclaws that we're talking about here are considered to be frauds. Aww. Though I would say that if you look at, from a teaching standpoint, the cross-section of subject it's also interesting that Ravenclaws are sort of the most diversified, right? You have Lockhart, who ends up teaching defense against the dark arts. Quirrell taught muggle studies before becoming um, the DADA professor. Trelawney teaches divination, and then Flitwick teaches charms. So I don't know if that has anything to do with their studious nature or that's just a coincidence, but- I think that's a good point. Speaking of Flitwick, head of Ravenclaw House, and I think has a lot of kind of cool moments throughout the course of yeah. the, uh, the series. Overall good dude. Nobody's got to complain about Flitwick. No. Except no. when his homework's too hard. He's a great choir director too. And yeah. Charms, yeah. Are one, <laughs> charms are one of those uh, subjects that- when perfected, like the coolest spells of all time are charms. They're just like, you can do really neat stuff with them. Yeah. And was presumably a dueling champion back in his heyday. That's right. Indeed. He dueled people twice his size. Another notable Ravenclaw to mention is Millicent Bagnold. She was the minister for magic when Harry defeated Voldemort the first time around and I will say for anybody who would make the argument that Ravenclaws do not like to party, she is known for saying after Voldemort fell that I assert our inalienable right to party. So party! <laughs> I never doubted Ravenclaws don't party. I just look at Laura and Micah and I know they like to party. That is true. I do like to party. I think we just, uh, we enjoy indulging in a, a nice stiff drink now and again oh i was yeah. gonna suggest that ravenclaws were more the smoke and listen to jazz party whereas hufflepuff's <laughs> the more drinking and, and gryffindor but i won't even complete that thought <laughs> <laughs> we don't we we like a good speakeasy yeah. oh yeah speakeasies are my favorite said everyone ever that's not a ravenclaw trait that's just like <laughs> a cool thing to do oh, no but like but real speakeasies. But could you get in without us? <laughs> wow. Well, I don't know. You guys don't know the answer to a trivia question at your common room door. So how do you do with other doors? You bring Yurik the oddball with you. And this is by far the strangest of any of the quote unquote notable Ravenclaw house members. It's in the name. He was a medieval wizard who was famous for his eccentric behavior. Uh, such as wearing a jellyfish as a hat and Fun. sleeping in a room with 50 pet auguries. He's just weird. Bottom line. Huh. He's the, the punchline for a lot of jokes. He seemed to be cool with it. And then finally, uh, Ignatia Wildsmith, or as I like to call her, Ignatia Diaganelli Wildsmith. She was the founder of or the inventor, I should say, of flu powder. Fun, oh. fun. 
Very cool. So finally, like an academic thing that we can yeah, get honestly, for. that's a bit surprising. Yeah, we're probably gonna find out that she, she stole the fraud. idea from somebody. <laughs> oh my goodness! Probably a Hufflepuff who did all the hard work. That's the list. I mean, pretty much everybody else that we had on this list, we talked about uh, at some point during the episode. In our Hufflepuff and Slytherin episodes, we all said something nice about these houses. And I thought since Ravenclaw and Gryffindor don't need to be defended as badly as Hufflepuff and Slytherin do, we should say something critical of Ravenclaw's here. However, I feel like we have been very critical of Ravenclaw throughout today's discussion, so we can table this. But I want to say I am very surprised by how critical Laura and Micah were of their house today. And now we're going to need an episode dedicated to defending Ravenclaw. (laughs) Ravenclaw. Look at this. No, I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't be surprised. We say this on the show all the time. We are critical because we care. Right. We care very much about our house. I think about, you know, any other um, item that we care about when we feel like, Mm -hmm. for example, a great example is if something locally is happening um, if a law is being passed or um, your school board is doing something you disagree with, you're not critical of those things because you hate your state or you hate your locality. You're critical of them because you care about that thing and you want it to be the best version of itself that it can be. And that's how I feel about Ravenclaw. I feel like we have not had enough positive representation of Ravenclaws as of yet. I hope that that changes. Fair. Fair. Well. Maybe we'll get a TV show or movie about it one day. You know, this new Hogwarts Legacy game, too. This is where we can right all the wrongs that we found. <laughs> no, <laughs> Isn't you're the right. tagline like write your own destiny or something like that? Write your own story? It's something like that. I just don't think it would have been... Go back to what I said earlier, right? Like, we are critical by nature. We are analytical by nature. So it would be odd for the episode to be anything but that. Doesn't mean we don't love our house. Maybe that's part of the reason we do. Forget about Lockhart and Trelawney. And oh. You give Ravenclaw's a bad name. I'll give Trelawney some credit. I don't like When you're trying to think of positive representations of Ravenclaw, think about me and Micah. <laughs> and Luna. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hogwarts' sure. favorite graduates. <laughs> put us in place. Please put us in place of oh, Lockhart boy. and Trelawney. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can email MuggleCast at gmail.com or use the contact form on MuggleCast.com. You can also record a voice memo on your phone and send that to MuggleCast at gmail.com. You can also call us 1920-368-4453. That's 1920-3-Muggle. We say it both ways because we got to show off that our phone number has the word Muggle in it. But also, we want to make it easy for you. So you get it both ways every week. We love getting your feedback. We can't respond to it all, but we do read it all. And sometimes it makes it onto forthcoming Muggle Mail episodes. All right, it's time for Quizzage. We need a new host now that Eric has admitted he'd fail at trivia questions at the Ravenclaw door. Yeah. (laughs) I'm kidding. Okay, last week's question. It was a tough one. In what books does Harry not directly interact with Draco Malfoy while on the Hogwarts Express? Let's go through this. In book one, Scabbers bites Goyle when Malfoy is present. In book three, 
uh, Draco comes in to make fun of Harry and sees that Lupin, a teacher, is there and chickens out. In book four, he makes fun of Ron's dress robes. In book five, he makes fun of uh, being a prefect. And Harry says, ah, but I'm not a git. And in book six, he smashes Harry's nose. This means that the only books in which Harry does not interact with Draco uh, during the Hogwarts Express is when he doesn't get on the Hogwarts Express at all. The correct answer is books two and seven. He's not on the Hogwarts Express in book seven, right? Nor nor in book two. Nor in book two. Exactly. So he interacts with Draco every time. I uh, shudder to think what would have happened. What would have happened if he was on the train in books two and seven? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So anyway, Cormac McClagan would have <laughs> taken care of it since he showed up in the movie and shouldn't have been there. Oh, right. That's right. But we have uh, we actually had a fair amount of people who did get the correct answer. Congratulations to surely what must be these Ravenclaws. A lost packet of Drupal's best blowing gum. Annette the Hufflepuff. Booba Tuber Puss. But I am the chosen one. Countess Chocula. Frumpy but super smart. Helena deserved better. Hero with a thousand fandoms. Marta Morgan must be a Weasley 92. Obscure Bloody Baron. Peeves fanfic. Please say XXXX 10 times. The Dark Board. Voldemort's Lost Nose. What is your name? And last but not least, give me your ramen or else I will send the Monster Book of Monsters on you and McNair and the Hufferhead Common Room. Okay. All right. Next week's question. On which floor at Hogwarts can you find the staircase that leads directly to the door to Ravenclaw's common room? Fun. Very specific. Laura and I know the answer. Question. <laughs> I'll look at my Lego set and I'll let you know. Yeah. You yeah. know, I was thinking one other thing here because when we did the Slytherin episode, we kind of just honorarily inducted Cornelius Fudge into Slytherin House. I feel like we need to do that at least one time for Ravenclaw as well. And there was a character that came to mind that I looked up, but I couldn't find anything for his house. And so I, because we've had two really crappy defense against the dark arts teachers find their way into Ravenclaw house, I'm going to take Mad-Eye Moody for Ravenclaw. Oh, I like that. Oh, I can accept this headcanon. I love it. So it shall be written. You have to say that in your Trelawney voice. So it shall be written. So you need a lightning thunder sound effect. <laughs> yeah. Submit your Quizich answer to us on the MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash Quizich, or select Quizich from the main menu. After that, we would love your support at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Our Patreon helps us keep the show running and growing, and in exchange for your support, you'll receive bonus MuggleCast installments, access to our recording studio via a weekly live stream, early access to each episode, a personal video thank you message made just for you, and a whole lot more. Again, that's patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Thank you so much for your support. We could not do this without you, and your support makes us feel good. So that does it for this week's episode of MuggleCast. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Bye, everyone. Bye. Stay in school, kids. (laughs) And write your own science fair project. (laughs) 